and welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Amy McMurtry. On today's Women on the Line, we look at violence against women and the response of the criminal justice system. In a landmark study this year, the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare recently found that one woman a week is killed as a result of domestic and family violence. Intimate partner violence causes more illness, disability and deaths than any other risk factor for women aged 25 to 44. Nearly 2.5 million Australians reported being physically or sexually abused before the age of 15, with young girls making up almost two-thirds of those. It found Indigenous women were 32 times more likely to be hospitalised due to family violence than non-Indigenous women. At these times, the response in the public sphere is often surrounding the need for greater police responses and a tougher approach on the perpetrators of these violent crimes. But is it within our criminal justice system's interest to support and empower women? On today's show, we'll look at the role that policing and prisons play in continuing to subjugate women, brutally re-traumatising and reinforcing misogynist violence and power, which throws into question, what role can our criminal justice system play in preventing and responding to violence against women. Content warning for discussions surrounding domestic and family violence, sexual violence and rape culture. On today's show, you'll hear from Vicky Roach and Emma Russell. Vicky Roach is a member of the Stolen Generation and is also a forgotten Australian, currently involved with the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Abuse. Vicky fought for community work leave from prison to work as an oral historian with the Koori Heritage Trust, employment she continued on release. She has also worked with the Department of Justice, Koori Justice Unit and the Aboriginal Family Violence Prevention and Legal Service on various projects relating to Indigenous women imprisoned in Victoria. Vicky is a writer, a poet, an activist and an advocate for women, particularly Aboriginal women who have been caught up in the criminal justice system. Emma Russell is a member of the Abolitionist and Transformative Justice Centre. Emma is a researcher and lecturer in the Crime, Justice and Legal Studies program at La Trobe University in Victoria. To start us off today, I asked Vicky about the relationship between Aboriginal oppression, family violence and the criminal justice system. 70 to 90% of all women in prison have been victims of family violence. Um, And for Aboriginal, we make up nationally around 50% of the female prison population, that figures 90%. It's astonishing. I've likened it on more than one occasion to being exactly the same as an abusive partner, a, a violent partner. And how the system does it this to us is that Aboriginal people are, are visible and we're over-policed for, for minor offences and incarcerated for, for minor offences and kept in prison for longer, um, refused bail, all that type of thing. In prison, uh, and even with the police, the threat of violence is always there. It's always hanging over you. Any interaction you have with the police could result in you being assaulted or even murdered, as often happens with Aboriginal people. Um, and in prison... You relinquish your personal autonomy to, to an authority figure who can force you to do what, whatever they want with your body. Your body is not your own. They, they can look at it, they can touch it, they can hurt it, they can do anything they want to you. And it's allowed. 
which also reinforces what an abusive relationship does to a woman, is that your body's not your own. To be perfectly honest, things aren't much different out here. It's hard to tell, having been in prison and spent so much time in prison, it's hard to tell where the bricks and mortar of a physical prison ends and, and our free-range prison begins. The, the neoliberal capitalist system is only maintained through violence and the threat of violence, and it virtually ensures that, that women don't get to grow or escape from violent relationships because it's drummed into them that, well, this is how you deserve to be treated because, you know, even the state treats you like this. So it's been suggested by some abolitionists that we won't see an end to rape culture until we see an end to prisons. What are your thoughts on this? Prisons perpetuate rape culture. Um, they, they create a situation where a detainee overtly, purposely and systematically restrained, restricted and controlled. They're stripped of their self and their human right to self. You basically... Like they might call you by your name, but you're basically just a number, a thing once you're in there. You're not allowed any self-expression. In the old days, they used to, it used to be a charge if you cut your hair or dyed your hair or something. It was um, damaging government property. And that's basically what you are. In that, in that situation, they can strip you. They can force you to provide um, a urine sample for analysis. They can make you perform actions with your body while you're naked. The whole system of prison is a rape of the human being, of the self. Everything about it is an assault on you, on a person, on your perception of self. Even emotions. You, you can't express emotions. If you're too happy, you're on drugs. If you're too sad, you're depressed and they want to put you on drugs. And if you're angry, well, they just want to put you in handcuffs and lock you in a wet cell. Prisons legitimise rape culture. If we, we look at things, no, that's not all right to do that to a person, even if they have committed a crime. Like, it's not all right to do it to that person because they're a different colour. It's, and prisons give a place for that sort of behaviour that it legitimises it and legitimises it in the community. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. We've been hearing from Vicky Roach about violence against women and the inability of the criminal justice system to support victims and survivors. And we'll now hear from Emma Russell. Emma is a member of the Abolitionist and Transformative Justice Centre and a researcher and lecturer in the Crime, Justice and Legal Studies program at La Trobe University in Victoria. I asked Emma to speak with us about her research and work surrounding prisons and policing. First of all, I think prisons are a key site of violence against women um, and trans and gender non-conforming folk. And probably the best example of that is routine strip searches, um, which have gained a lot of attention recently because Australia has recently ratified um, the optional protocol 
for the Convention Against Torture and all places of detention will have to abide by those rules, supposedly. And when the Ombudsman um, did a trial inspection of the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, which is the maximum security women's prison in Victoria, the major prison for women um, that's in Melbourne's West in Deer Park, one of the key issues that she found in terms of um, breaching that convention against torture was um, the use of routine strip searches as degrading, as humiliating, um, as coercive and as incredibly re-traumatising for women. Um, and this is particularly important, I think, because, you know, also when we look at the landscape of gender violence and violence against women, and this really came to the fore with the Royal Commission into Family Violence in Victoria a couple of years ago was that women's prisons in particular are such concentrated sites for people that have been victimised by sexual and gender violence. So research consistently says that the majority of women who end up in prison have prior experiences of abuse, um, often as children, and so roughly 50 to 90% is the range. So um, when you have such you know, shockingly high rates of prior victimisation and then you subject this same population to a really sexualised violent protocol, routine practice, you know, it's incredibly damaging and re-traumatising, I think, and it's and just kind of an inescapable example of the way that violence is really systematised in that space in very gendered and sexualised ways. And also the Human Rights Law Centre has been doing some excellent advocacy around that recently and with, with Vicky Roach as well. You know, when we think about this, you know, what has been called like the abuse to prison pipeline, especially for women, um, there's also, you know, there's the the kind of mundane, like the mundane violence of strip searches. But then um, I also came across a case recently um, that was just in March this year um, in Newcastle where a mother had her her 12-year-old daughter had been murdered by her partner who was um, the daughter's stepfather and you know both the mother and the the child and her other children had um un, you know had been victimized like consistently by this man and the mother was actually charged with manslaughter for not um intervening or not reporting this violence that she was also experiencing from her partner um and she was sentenced to 4 years prison so I don't know, like, this case to me seems like quite exceptional, but, um, and, you know, it's quite disturbing in the sense of, I think as well, it really brought home how, you know, this kind of violence is really often, especially in the criminal justice frame, it's very individualised in the sense of, you know, this is the response that the the mother is is punished and blamed for, you know, her partner's violence. And you know, where's the responsibility in the community, you know, or the the way that the system failed um, isn't examined. To me, it just seems like that continues the cycle of violence and abandonment for women and children. We can also look at the pat like trends in imprisonment as well in terms of thinking about the violence that women experience and, and gender non-conforming folk experience um, in the sense of expansions. You know, there's a lot of attention on on family violence recently and you know it's a very emotive topic you know rightfully so but you know when you actually look at prison trends it's women that are the fastest growing prison population and Aboriginal women in particular 
in Australia. And so even if we, we look in Victoria, um, the prison that I mentioned before, the main prison for women, its capacity is now close to 500 and there's more plans to expand it. Um, but that's been a quadrupling in just 20 years. So, you know, I think there's all this increased attention and a lot of sort of you know, there's law and order news and often that's centred on, on men and men's violence, you know, which is an, an important, um, important development in terms of public consciousness of, you know, masculine violence. But when we look at the way that the criminal justice system and the prison system especially is expanding, um, it's actually women that are being caught up in it at an increasing rate. Obviously, women still are the minority in the prison system, but um, increasingly being locked up. Abolitionists often hear, you know, people say that reinvestment is fine for most prisoners, um, but what about the small percentage of people who are really heinously violent? Um, you know, how do we, how do we protect people from the rapists and murderers? And I mean, how do you respond to a question like that mm. as an abolitionist? Yeah, I think it, like, it's yes, a very common question, and it's it's a hard question. I think um, again, like you can probably answer it in a number of ways. You know, when you talk about the minority of rapists, it's like, yeah, it is only the minority of rapists that end up going through the criminal justice system. You know, rape is so much more, and sexual violence is so much more prevalent than a lot of people know. Um, and you know, if you look at those statistics, they are shocking in terms of how how infrequently it's reported and then when it's reported, how infrequently it, it goes on to be charged and then how infrequently it goes goes on to someone actually being convicted. So I think it's less that, you know, the minority of prisoners who are rapists, I think it's like, well, you know, sexual violence is a very pervasive issue in society that, you know, historically the criminal justice system has been not only like wildly ineffective at dealing with, but you know, has also refused to deal with or with it or ignored it or condoned it in all these ways. So I think in that sense, then that really shifts the lens from, okay, like, what do we do with those small number of people and be like, okay, this is actually a really big problem that is not currently being addressed effectively by the criminal justice system. And, you know, maybe won't ever be. Again, if we think back to those ideas around prisons as sites of violence, then it, you know, I guess then we get into more interesting spaces around, well, you know, what's, A, what's the cause of, you know, this pervasive violence that predominantly women and trans and gender non-conforming folk experience and, you know, how can that be addressed? And I think obviously there's going to be no simple answer. I think Angela Davis talks about how, you know, there is no one alternative for the prison because that would just be another version of the prison because we're still thinking in that same logic. So she talks about a spectrum or a constellation of alternatives that need to me, like that would be needed so that the prison ceases to be relevant. And I mean, that's thinking about so many different things from, you know, like education and housing and um, anti-poverty initiatives and employment, I guess that gets back to that issue of, yeah, well, that deals with the majority of people that wind up in prison, like people who commit nonviolent offences and, you know, public order offences or whatever, which is, you know, the majority of the women's prison population. But I think, yeah, coming back to that issue of masculinist violence and sexual violence, 
you know, that's going to be more complicated. And I think, you know, historically abolitionists have been critiqued for ignoring that question and, you know, it does need to be addressed. But I think, you know, there's only sort of maybe small pockets of examples where people are experimenting with different ways of doing things. So given the kind of violence that we're seeing, you know, heavily perpetrated against women in the criminal justice system, what do you say to people who talk about reform? I had this experience with um, with uh, some of my students like the other week when, you know, they're talking about rehabilitation and how, you know, we just need to like reform this little thing in, in prisons for young people and, you know, give guards more training around this or, um, you know, or whatever the, the discourse around women is. We just need to make prisons more gender responsive. And I just think, wow, like... Given the history of imprisonment and, um, you know, the nature of, like, how much it's expanded, how its violence has mutated and um, increased in all these ways, like, I feel like it's incredibly idealistic to think that prisons, you know, can be sites for reform and rehabilitation. And, you know, when... um, I guess, you know, people who work on mental health and stuff, which is not what I work on, but, um, you know, pretty consistently the consensus for um, mental health research is that prisons are not appropriate sites to do any kind of healing or, um, you know, that kind of psychological change work because of the nature of that environment, right, where it's it's very controlled, it's very coercive, it's by its very nature it disempowers people and you know, I think even as a lay person, you kind of know that if you're going to do some healing or change, then, you know, you need to feel safe, you need to feel in control, you need to feel empowered in a sense. So, but I guess I would also say as a caveat, like, I think it's, you know, it's not that useful to think of um, like abolition and reform as a dichotomy, um, because obviously, um abolition is not going to happen tomorrow or, you know, in five years or even in our lifetimes. But, um, you know, of course, people are still going to be suffering inside prisons. So I think obviously you can't abandon the project of reform and improving those systems um, so that people survive them basically and don't come out, you know, increasingly damaged. Um, But I think we need to keep sight of that fact that they do rest on a fundamentally violent logic and, you know, the history of the prison is a history of reform. Like they've only, it's always been a cyclical process of, you know, we'll establish this new institution and it'll do better. But consistently what's happened is in prison populations have ballooned. I mean, especially in the last three decades. In Australia now, um, we imprison more people than ever before. So it's that trajectory, I think, Improvement can sometimes mean legitimation and expansion. Vicky additionally had this to say about reform. The conversation has to be about prison abolition and alternatives. There's there's no... There's nothing to be gained from the system. It doesn't achieve any of the the results that uh, the community or society wants a prison to achieve. Rehabilitation, deterrence. What else is there? Mm. Punishment. That's mm-hmm. what actually I suppose that's about the only one it does achieve. Personally, I, I see it as unnecessary. Like why why do we think it's 
necessary to punish people in such a such a huge, enormous way for transgressing against society in usually, you know, minor minor ways. God had a woman um, say to me once, now she was actually in for manslaughter. She involuntary involuntarily killed somebody while she was suffering from a mental breakdown. And she was a she was a beautiful person. You couldn't conceive of her killing somebody, and she was very caring. But that was um, she'd been caring for an elderly parent for for years. And what she said to me was, "Look, I, I could be doing something useful in the community. I'm no longer a danger now that my you know, illness is taken care of. Instead of sitting in here twiddling my thumbs for ten years." Why aren't I working in an aged care home or doing something to for society? She was no danger to anybody. A three-month or a six-month sentence can mean a woman loses everything, all her possessions, her home, her children, and, and then faces years battling docks to, to get them back. So these, these are pretty drastic consequences for, for what are often minor infractions of the law. So police prioritise punitive response. They're called to a, a domestic disturbance. Often the woman, particularly if she's Aboriginal, is arrested also, if not she's the only one being arrested. They'll check the woman's background, history, and, and arrest her for petty warrants, you know, warrants for petty charges. They, they pr- prioritise those kind of responses to minor offending by Indigenous women over and above their, their history of domestic violence. You know, similar, similar thing is, is what happened to Miss Do. Aboriginal communities have been fighting hard for self-determination in responding to crimes in their own community and community-controlled solutions. What do you see as some of the solutions to preventing and responding to violence against women and what are some of the powerful examples you've seen and or experienced? The solutions to preventing family violence are fairly simple in, in one respect. It's relieving poverty, lack of education, all of those normal basic things that everybody deserves the right to. Poverty is, is a huge driver of, of all these things. Even drugs and alcohol are driven by poverty and despair and hopelessness. So, so that needs to be fixed. We, we have to be able to, to heal people from this systematic degradation and impoverishment that we've been experiencing for the last 200 odd years. That has to start, that will be a long process but that has to be there, otherwise it's never going to be easy to fight or possible to fight. So that's preventing family violence in the first place, but actually responding to it until we're able to eradicate it, keeping the police as much out of the the whole process as possible and having well-funded refuges that provide a space for healing 
because family violence is traumatic. It's traumatic for everybody, um, not just the victim, the perpetrator as well, who also has to respond to that within themselves. But we have to have a healthy society for that to be possible. And alleviating poverty is one of the quickest ways to see a healthy society. As far as the healing places or things that I've seen that are helpful or beneficial in, in this regard, you probably know Judy Atkinson. She's written a book called Trauma Trails. Now, she does a lot of work with um, people who've been in prison with trauma, and, and she uses something called deep listening. I think it's the best way for working with trauma with Aboriginal people and possibly with all people. But healing, that has to be it. Not some program that some government department thinks, oh, that'll be a good, good idea, that'll work, that'll help. No, these, these programs have to be community-based, community-developed and driven by the community. You are listening to Vicky Roach and Emma Russell. That's all we have time for today. If you've found any of the content on today's show distressing, you can phone Lifeline, a 24-hour counselling service, on 13 11 14. Women on the Line is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to womenontheline at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear the show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. Go to the Women on the Line page and follow the links to this week's show. I'm Amy McMurtry. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm going to leave you with a song now from Sweet Honey in the Rock called Keep Your Eyes on the Prize. It comes from an old spiritual song about continuing despite adversity. Paul and Silas bound in jail Had no money for to go there, babe Keep your eyes on the prize Hold on Nothing for my journey now. Oh,